0: Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years. And with those stories came the emotional, spiritual and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek, a sixth generation shaman and best-selling author of Spirit Hacking, bridges the gap between science and spirituality and brings us back to our roots. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders, to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. The time has come to end codependency and put the power back into people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. What is the shaman school? No you're not gonna be studying to pursue a career in shamanism or to bang a drum. The definition of shamanism is one who understands relationship. The shaman school offering reminds you how to have a better relationship with things and how to nurture these relationships, whether it be with yourself, the food you eat, the people you meet, your ancestry, community, the global community, animals, nature, and so forth. My goal is to demystify spirituality, to add a bit of science and understanding of how things operate in the energetic planes. The Shaman School's no-nonsense teaching explores all faculties of experience, from the physical, the emotional range, the mental capacity for information, dialogue, lexicon, energy, perception, awareness, how to understand the energy of currency, and so much more. Fundamental education teaches the basics that we need in society. How to read, write, add, subtract, pay our bills, or how to become doctors, artists, mechanics, etc. But the shaman school is a school that we all should have been a part of. One that offers the additional tools needed to better understand who we are, why we think the way we do, what's going on behind the scenes, and what we are actually seeing and processing. Are you living well? Are you paying bills just to keep the roof over your head? Are you in a relationship but not fulfilled? Satisfaction cannot be lowered anymore by the inability to recognize possibility. Living well means fulfilling your ideas and your goals and your dreams and having the best time doing it. In the Shaman School, I have extracted the best from all of the world philosophies, religions, spiritual teachings, and theories, offering a juice without pulp that will empower your life. The Shaman School invites you to a world where you're able to seize the tools of understanding, where you're able to have fun and have more because you deserve more. Go to shamanduric.com and click on The Shaman School for the first step toward ultimate happiness and an understanding of your truest self. Let's make things easier and not harder for our life. We deserve that. See you soon. Hey Tribe, so the Tribe wants to hear from you. And I know a lot of you are talented out there in music and poetry and recipes and ideas and just, you know, things that you want to share with the Tribe. You can send that information to info at and share your gifts with the Tribe. Love you all and stay lit. Hey Tribe, we're going to take a short break to hear from one of our amazing sponsors who is Lit Verified. The Lit Verified store is open, but what does Lit Verified mean? Lit Verified is an acknowledgement and stamp of approval by the tribe. I have tried each of these products and they are the best. Lit Verified products vary from beauty, technology, clothing, food, health and wellness, and anything that is ethically sourced, organic, maintained, and sustainable. Not every product offered to the team passes the Lit Verified test. No, not at all. Every Lit Verified product is carefully researched. Every CEO has been met with. Every ingredient carefully looked into the process production of all of it. I have seen the impact these vendors are making. Their vision and ethics are aligned with our tribe, with people who are consciously supporting community and want to make a difference in our world and make it a better place for us. Lit Verified products are ethically sourced and meet the highest industry standards. When purchasing Lit Verified products, we give back by creating sustainability and by leading the world to make better choices. You can be confident that you're buying into a company that supports a vision for change, not just a company that wants to line their pockets with money. We live in a time where we are oversaturated by commercials, TV, and social media, where far too many celebrities and influencers are endorsing things they know nothing about and things they might be doing damage to people, to the earth, and to animals. With Lit Verified, we've taken that doubt out of the equation. You're not only getting the best, but you're also doing the best. Pick up your awesome Lit Verified items at shamandurick.com and click on the link that takes you to Lit Verified. Love well, tribe. All right, tribe. Time to hear from our special guest. Hello, everyone. This is Shaman Durick with Ancient Wisdom Today podcast.
1: And you know how we go through so many uh, downfalls in our life and pitfalls and things don't really work out and we feel like we're struggling financially or we're coming out of broken relationships or going through multiple careers. Well, I'm glad to say that we have a powerful thought leader who is here with us today an Ancient Wisdom Today podcast to share with us ways for us to be able to pull ourselves through these things, and also her own story. And we're going to be learning ways in which we can get involved with everything that she's doing, but that's later on in the show, and I'm just very happy to be here with all of you. So I want to tell you about this amazing woman who, after so many years, I think it was over 20 years of multiple careers and failed business ideas and sad singleness. And unhappy family, broken relationships, no money, and living in a tiny apartment and weighing in at 345 pounds. Allison Bird discovered motivational speaking and is now ready to share her wisdom, her knowledge, and her expertise with all of us so that we can uplift our lives, shift our lives, and come into a greater perspective of who we are. So, welcome to the studio, Allison Bird.
2: What's up? I'm so excited to share this moment with you.
1: (laughs) So let's just dive right in. Right. So, you know, what was the depravity or the situation like for you before stepping into that realization of something needed to shift?
2: Mm. You know, Someone would think that that moment of awakening for me came before I became a speaker or before I created um, a seven-figure brand and then a seven-figure business and then a multi-seven-figure business. But the awakening really came while that was happening. And I was just on my path. I thought, honestly, Sean Mandurik, to be successful I thought success and spirituality and significance were separate. I didn't understand that they were linked. So there I was just doing my thing. Like, let me get my bag over here, make my money here, go to church on Sundays over here. And I had no idea that they were tied together. And it was in that process of awakening. It was in me um, evolving to work with higher quality leaders where they were demanding a different ethic, a different energetic, a different lifestyle, going to an event where no one was leaving and going to eat burgers and fried chicken, but instead they were fasting all day and drinking green juices and meditating. And I'm like, what is this world? So it was really in my pursuit of success that awakened me and it was the desire to want to maintain the community that I had that helped me see, I want something different for myself. And that really helped me start shape-shifting my reality.
1: But do you feel, and let's go into that a little bit, because a lot of times people say, you know, like these ideas spiritually are what awakened them, but was it really those things or was it the idea of the discomfort or the, you know, the dissatisfaction or the letdown or, you know, the things in life that were showing up that didn't feel good anymore. And, you know, and it's always that point, it's like that precipice point where we realize that, what we're eating, what we're taking in, what we're living just doesn't feel good anymore. And we can't keep convincing ourselves that it does are settling. And what was that point when you decided that I'm not going to settle for less anymore. And I am going to start looking and seeing what these, um, you know, people are doing on this level, as you just spoken, but really realize that, that those people would have never showed up If you weren't already creating that awareness from something that you no longer wanted to be a part of. So what was that moment?
2: Well, let me break it down for you because I would say there were several. So I would say one of the critical moments was wanting to go to a business conference very early in my career and having a negative bank balance. Um, And then getting to the event, despite the negative bank balance and not being able to go out to eat with everyone because I was on food stamps, I was building a business and I was on government assistance for those of you globally, which meant the government was paying for my food, that moment of uh, I, I don't even want to just say shame and embarrassment, but that moment of not belonging, I can't be included because the way that I'm choosing to live and lead my life just doesn't work. Um, another moment was getting booked to speak in the British Virgin Islands. And when I went to the islands, everywhere we sat, it felt like the chairs were teensy tiny And I was 345 pounds. And I remember sitting at a table. With the prime minister of the Bahamas, um, the prime minister of the British Virgin Islands, the um, just leader on leader. And I sit in the chair and I break it. And that was a moment of awakening for me, like this body is not serving you. I remember being engaged and really thinking that I should marry this man. And I thought I should marry him because we had dated for five years. I thought I should marry him because I had deep love for him. And I thought I should marry him because our families came together really well. But we hadn't aligned values and we hadn't aligned visions. We hadn't aligned purpose or identities. And so it was these consistent awakenings that kept showing up and inviting me to a higher standard for Allison. And I kept trying to be a higher standard for my career. I wasn't caring about the higher higher standard for my life. And that's when my universe, and I like to say my universe, because I think we all perceive our universes uniquely. And so that's when my universe just started shaking and waking and quaking. And I honestly prayed a prayer. I said, because I grew up in the Christian faith, I grew up black in the South, in North America, and there's a scripture in the sacred text of Christianity, Ephesians 3.20, that I still hold on to today in my universal consciousness. And that scripture says, God will do exceeding abundant above all you could ask, imagine, or think according to his power that works within you. So, when I translate that to new consciousness, the highest of Allison will go beyond your wildest imagination, beyond what you could ask, imagine, or think, according to the power that you acknowledge within you. And I looked around and said, Well, I don't have a life beyond my wildest imagination. So, either somewhere sacred text is failing or somewhere I'm missing the mark because I've been unwilling to take a real look at my life. And that's what's led me on this perpetual path of expansion, becoming, and self-acceptance.
1: Well, that's beautiful. And thank you for sharing all of that. That was very powerful. I wanted to ask you, since we're on that conversation, now we understand that there are these moments that people get, where either they're aware of that there's a discomfort and a a lack of feeling happy and joyful and fully fulfilled, or they continue to accept what is and just put up with the feelings of discomfort and lack and so forth. Why do people do that? And how do people shift out of that?
2: That's a dynamic question. And one layer to that answer, because there are so many different ways that we could all answer that. But one layer to that answer is the cult of average. I believe that the cult of average is one of the strongest cliques on the planet. And I'll give you an example. The other day, I went to go get a cup of coffee. I was having a great morning. I woke up, I meditated, I moved my body. I get to the coffee shop And I kind of hit my hand and I go, ouch. And the clerk says, oh my God, are you having a bad morning? I said, no, I just kind of hit my hand. It hurt a little bit. And so then I go to use my Apple Pay and it's sticking. And she says, oh, that thing never works. Don't you just hate that? She was consistently trying to enroll me in the day is bad things don't work for me life is not good and so what i recognize is that the cult of average has a has a theme of dialogue that says not what is happening to me or through me or for me or through me or for me but what's happening to me against me so the cult of average has this instinct and insight that perpetually seeks something happening against me. I went into a high-end store recently and I'm on the phone. My friend can't see what's happening, but my friend notices I've been waiting for a minute. And my friend says, well, you know, they don't pay attention to black people in those stores. Again, wanting to enroll me in a cult of average that says I'm available for racist activity, which I'm not. And so I said to him, I said, oh, well, I'm actually, right. <laughs> I said, actually, what I believe is happening is that the most aligned person is going to come off of break and be ready to serve me, come off from helping someone else and be ready to take me to the perfect shoe, the perfect bag. And just as I'm saying that, someone literally walks out with the brightest smile, beelines over to me and says, hey, have you been helped? And I said, no, I haven't. They said, what's your name? I said, Allison. They said, what would you like? And they just start walking me around. So to me, if anyone is wanting to change their reality, we hear over and over that we're the sum average of the five humans that we hang around, but I wanna position it a new way, that we are the sum average of the thoughts that the humans around us verbalize, and we are the sum average of what we allow ourselves to regurgitate in our consciousness, We are the sum average of the conversations we're having inside of ourselves over and over and over again. So that to me is where people get stuck. They want the book to change them. They want the podcast to shift them. They want the one day event to be enough of a breakthrough, but you must be willing to stand for your life and immerse yourself in a new reality so that you really can be, do, and have all the desires that are on your specific heart.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so well spoken. I love it. Absolutely. Thank you. So, you know, so this cult of average, right? Is that what you're calling it? What you're mm-hmm. saying it is? You know, why do we have that to begin with? Why do people need to find ways to deduct, deduce, subtract, limit, hold back, um, suppress, oppress um, any human being at all to begin with?
2: Sure, well, what I like to say is that the initiation for most of us, not all of us, but the initiation for most of us is love. And I'll give you an example. Again, I grew up Black in the South in North America as a first family in church, which means seven days a week we went to church, which means my aspiration and my goals as a little girl was to master how to pray so that I could be one of the people that prayed on the mic, was to master how to usher so that I could be on the junior usher board, was to master how to sing so that I could be in the junior choir Why did my mother put me in all of those things? Well, I was born in 1977. So I'm a product of the eighties, which means I could have been in a crack house. I could have been, you know, my body could have been sold. So many other aspects of belonging could have happened to me that would have been detrimental to me. But instead she was putting me in something that she thought would root me and ground me. Now, she had no consciousness in the 80s that this religion was going to be restrictive for me in 2023. She had no idea I was going to need nervous system work. She had no idea that I was going to have to get untethered to the constraint that religion produced for me. She was just trying to keep me safe. So as a result of being in that highly judgmental, highly critical atmosphere that I grew up in, I grew up with very little self-esteem. I grew up not knowing how to process authentic emotions because God was supposed to deal with that. So when I got jealous, when I got angry, uh, when I felt envious as a teenager, no one was helping me process those emotions. So I became an adult with unprocessed emotions, which then became inflammation in my gut, which then became an overweight routine for my lifestyle, which then produced fibroids in my body, which then produced inhibitions with how I looked and how I felt, which made me wanna hide, which then means I can't have a career that requires visibility, which now relegates me to be behind the scenes, which now reduces me to an earning level that only behind the scenes is qualified for. So that's how systemic oppression happens, not only from the outside in, but from the inside inside. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. I think that systemic oppression is something that is uh, is built in two levels. It's built in the understanding of the system that creates it, as well as those who continue to support the system that created it, and those who don't even realize they're supporting the system that created it because of the fact that they're operating in a very suggestive point of view in how they see life, which is based on people-pleasing and the need to make other people feel that they are a part of their uh, their tribe, as to say. And I think for you, um, you know, for you to be able to see through that, that's very powerful because it does take quite a bit of soul-searching and it takes a, quite a bit of... Of deep introspection to be able to see beyond those, um, those limitations. So that makes great sense why people um, have a difficult time. And we need more people to help them to be able to shine that light on possibility versus, you know, just ignore them because they're uncomfortable to deal with and just let things continue to, uh, to fray out the way that it, it has. So when you see, you know, let's talk about more about what you see for humanity and the progress that we can make as human beings and where you feel that you fit in 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 making that possible
2: oh that's such a yummy question thank you for asking me that and for asking me that way um if you would have asked me 15 years ago when i was you know the i have a dream girl And I was just aspirational in it. And I really don't want to say just, I don't want to marginalize my dream because it got me to where I am today. But I was dreaming for dreaming's sake. And you have to know when you're dreaming for dreaming's sake. You know you're dreaming for dreaming's sake when you dream more than you take inspired action. You know you're dreaming for dreaming's sake when you're afraid to be around the ones that are doing and living the the experiences that you desire. Instead, you wanna keep talking at Chili's, you wanna keep hanging out at the bar, at the club, kind of yakking about reading the law of attraction book, but you're not really living the law of harmony, which will bring greater attraction to you than anything. So for me, when I look at where did I land, I landed in the world of entrepreneurship because I was just trying to never be broke again. Now, I dropped out of high school at 15. I have a real struggle story. Like, I didn't even want to have this big of a struggle story, but I do. (laughs) And, you know, my mom was a single mom, raised me with and my sister with three jobs. My dad was in prison. The last time I saw him, I was four years old at a prison. The last time I spoke to him, I was 12 years old. He said, I'll call you back. I'm 45 at the time that we're recording this and that call has not come. I had no idea that that rejection programming in me was going to impact whether or not I would allow myself to scale my business visions. I had no clue until someone told me no, and suddenly it felt like I was stripped of all of my identity. Their no should not have had that much weight, but it felt like the echo of no that I'd been living since I was 12 every year on my birthday thinking, this is the year my dad's going to call. Every Christmas, this is the Christmas he's going to send a gift. Every Easter, this is when he's going to surprise me at church. Like, I just know it. And that That was decades of disappointment caked up on my soul. So I went into entrepreneurship just going, let's just figure out how to get money. Mm -hmm. And what happened was I started leading people to money, myself included, and then we would just throw the money away some kind of way. We would just get rid of it. We would become afraid of it. And that's when I recognized, oh, Money isn't energetic and it's a high vibration frequency. And when I have it, it is a mismatch to how I'm actually living and being. So when I think about what I have a responsibility or a role that delights me now, it's to help humanity work less and live more By aligning through the consciousness of purpose, which is not a pursuit of what to do, it's an answer and a response of who to be. And when you can tap into that, that leads you to your peace, that leads you to your prosperity, and that leads you uh, to possibilities beyond your wildest imagination. So I feel like I'm a beacon of truth to really tell the authentic secrets that aren't secret people are just afraid to make them realities for themselves.
1: When we when we think about uh purpose, we think about and I love the way you framed purpose because a lot of people frame it in this very slave uh mentality that I'm just not into. But when you think about purpose and you think about that space, right? Cuz I always go back to uh you know this thing that Jesus said which is you shall do greater things than I, right? And I find it very fascinating.
2: You mean the scripture that every Christian forgets?
1: Yes. <laughs> Girl, don't have me come up here now and go and just go crazy now over here over you now. Don't have me go crazy over here now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And also the other one too in Matthews, which is um, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, one must come as a child. There is a, a definition of truth that is held within those words that people do not embody, right? It's, the, it's like, I, I meet people and I ask them, you know, what, what is life for them? And they say, you know, getting married, having kids and having a good job, making good money and taking vacations once in a while. To me, that's not life. To me, that's misery, to me, that's conveyor belt mentality. And I think that that's, the, that's the, the dream that has been sold to people on this planet, right? If you have a house, you have a family, they go to good school, you get them into a good college or you have a good job and you can take vacations once in a while and your bills are paid, you're living a good life. And I don't think that. Why do you think human beings and to to add that why do you think human beings choose that as their reality and also what do you think it means to have a good life
2: ooh okay so point 1 i think that most humans choose it because they are stuck in a karmic grid that they cannot get themselves out of and what i mean when i say that is when i decided to sleep with a married man for 3 years I wasn't married, but he was. When we decoupled that union and I decided to get into a sacred union, well, then I had karmic thought, are you going to cheat on me? You, You didn't call me back at this time. Well, I was with a man who didn't call back. So maybe that's what that's karmic cycling based on the fact I've not alchemized. Why did I choose what I chose? I've not redeemed myself from that. So now I am suffering in my own psyche. So because I suffer in my own psyche, I'm anticipating that suffering to meet me everywhere I go. So I think that a lot of humans, I actually don't think I know. I know a lot of humans are suffering their karmic grid. How do you get free of that? You must invite opportunity Every single time that you get an opportunity to clear that karmic grid, I pray weekly, Spirit, help me remember times when I was not awake, where I owed someone some money and I thought it was okay to dismiss it. In this new consciousness, I'd love to see. I don't care if Spirit shows me something 20 years ago. I'm going to go find that person and I'm going to clear it because I'm going to believe that money flows to me easily, but I'm not going to believe it if I still have money owed out and I'm feeling dirty in my own money cycle. I'm going to have a conversation with my partner and I'm going to say, are you honest? Are you trustworthy? Why don't I believe it? Is that about me? Where's our sovereignty in this conversation? What work needs to happen in my life? What work needs to happen in the union? And I'm gonna clear that energy. I'm not going to make other people responsible, but I'm also not going to beat myself up and make every cleansing and clearing act a solo project. We've got to give ourselves permission to stop living a DIY life. And we've got to start living a DWO life. We've got to do life with others because they really are the gateway and the capital, you know, in this human lived experience. So that's the first part that I would say. The second part that I would say on what's a quality life to me, a quality life is a life of overflow. So, I don't want to be in service if that's my first priority and I get forgotten. So the way that I like to say it is God will never ask for your yes and then give you a no. And so what most people are trying to do is just what entrepreneurs do. They want to make money and they want to pay everybody and then put themselves last. The way that I believe it works in the life of greatness is take care of you first And then out of overflow, you have service. So the reason that my vibration is so healing for those listening to me right now is because I'm not facilitating in deficit. I'm not angry with myself. I'm not judgmental against others. I haven't harmed anyone intentionally in my own life. Allison, do you live perfectly? I do not. But I live purposefully. And the highest law that I live by is the law of harmony. So if I'm doing something that that is disharmonious, I'm going to pay attention to that. And that gives me the vibration and the frequency to be a magnet. So now, because so much comes to me, Shaman Durek, I spend at least 30% of my week facilitating opportunity to other people. Because it's like, I don't have space for that opportunity. Somebody just asked me, can you write a chapter in this? I don't have space for that right now. Let me give it to another up and coming writer. Hey, do you want this stage? I don't have space for that stage right now. Let me give it to this person. That to me is a life of overflow, which means I am fertile to the oneness I am not a sack of rocks begging God all day, every day, but instead I'm rich soil and I'm ripe soil and I'm willing to be used. And the first place to be used is in the mirror with my reflection and then out into the world.
1: Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. I think that there's a I think there's a point where human beings realize that the only way in which to truly step forward is through service, and also through the understanding of recognizing the value of who you are before you need other people to recognize the value of who you are and to validate and accolade that. Because if we can't validate and accolade our own existence, then we are putting ourselves in harm's way, right? Because then we're letting other people come in and validate our existence and who knows what they're going to be validating it with. Who knows what, what labels and what boxes they will put us in if we are not fully diligent in recognizing and knowing who we are and spending that that moment in our lives to be able to cultivate that level of, of acknowledgement and nurturing and, and, and seeing, which I think is a huge, 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 huge thing. Uh, when we talk about prosperity consciousness and we talk about people going into poverty consciousness what are your thoughts on that
2: (laughs) oh my gosh well as a recovering poverty consciousness human you know and I I say recovering still because I grew up standing in line for cheese and to say that sentence makes no sense to me makes absolutely no sense. I grew up going to church sermons where they would preach to you for an hour before they would give you ground meat. And so I grew up with this sense of we must we must be punished before we can receive.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, right. I've seen that mm-hmm.
2: And so it's been a tremendous challenge for me to, not only master asking it's been a challenge for me to master receiving mm-hmm. and then once I started the receiving momentum I couldn't hold on to it so I wasn't a haver I was still identifying as a have-not so I was asking believing receiving but then letting the miracle go because I did not identify as a haver I identified as a have-not mm-hmm So where I believe most of us regurgitate the poverty consciousness is in our identity. And um, one of the things that people told me when I first started garnering success was don't forget about us.
1: Yeah, I've heard that many times from many people.
2: Yeah, don't forget about us. And so we hear that this survivor's remorse is what really hits us when I decide. I remember uh, telling my mom uh, one day, she asked for $5 for gas. No one in the house had $5 for gas. And I went to my mom that night and I said, I'm moving. And she said, what? And me, my mother, my sister, my brother-in-love, we all live together and we've all redeemed this story. And so I feel totally at peace to share it. I said, I'm moving. And she said, why? Like, we're all here living together because we need each other. I said, but we're becoming codependent. Right. And I said, if all of these adults live here, no one has $5, I'm going to be the one that has $5, but I've got to move out of this house in order to be that person. My mother was angry with me and she did not speak to me for two months that was hurtful for me because I was incredibly close to my mother. She's no longer on this side of heaven. So, there are three arenas that I think challenge us the most. Number one, our identity. How do we identify? Is our skin color making us keep continue to claim that we are a part of a group because we don't want anyone to disqualify us? You know, so we've got to look at that sense of identity. Second, we've got to look at belonging. And to me, I say, you can have a success family and a love family. You get to have it all. And then thirdly, I think it's that routine and that practice of lifestyle What is your daily rhythm and is your daily rhythm one that identifies with wealth consciousness or does it identify with poverty consciousness? I noticed that I was used to driving through drive-thrus all the time and it wasn't until I got a client that was an eight-figure client, drove Rolls Royces, Bentleys, had mansions, properties all over the world. And they asked me when I was flying in what I wanted their chef to make me. You're going to love this. They said, what do you want? What do you want the chef to make you? And I said, I want meatloaf. I want mashed potatoes. I want collard greens. And I want cornbread. And when I got there, they had it all laid out. But my client, who was African American, pulled me to the side before I left and said, I want to tell you something. You've got to change your palate. I honored what you asked for, but that is not a meal you have a chef make you. You've got to up level your palate. And I didn't understand that. And so those groomings sound harsh and uncomfortable to someone who is still in a poverty consciousness. Mm -hmm. But actually she was shaping me and she was inviting me into something that I'd not, I'd never tasted Wagyu beef before. I was used to beef out the rolls, you know, frying it up, putting it together with some cornmeal or whatever it was. And that was my lifestyle. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to up level, you must be willing to walk through imposter syndrome because you will have it. You must be willing to walk through jealousy because you will be confused. Why do they have it and I don't? You will not understand. They are your three-dimensional template. And you must be willing to walk through the separation from those that you've known because you are meant to be an example. And those things are very uncomfortable.
1: Absolutely. I you know I think a lot of people move in that direction and then they have family and friends and even strangers, you know, really, I know for myself, um, I was always the shaman who never had press and never put myself out there. And then one day someone asked me to put me in press. And I remember a lot of my friends were like, how could you sell out? How could you give in? You know, and then I went home and looked at it within myself. And I realized it was me who was saying those things. And they were just repeating it for me. And once I changed it within myself, I went back out with, with all my friends, actually the week after, and they said to me, I'm so sorry for saying those things to you. I realized that people deserve to hear more of your knowledge and, and we shouldn't keep you all to ourselves. And, you know, and it was this really interesting thing. And even just the whole idea of being black, you know, um, and realizing that like the programmed energy of. You know, uh, it's going to be harder for me being black. It's going to be more challenging for me being black. It's gonna people don't aren't prevy to ha- having a listening ear to black people, and there's truth to what I'm saying, but I don't have to actually subscribe and accept the reality. And I think. I think that what you're saying is so pivotal right now for our evolution, not just for colored people, but for all people to be able to move outside of these these, um, ideas of what society says of them and really start defining what that looks like for them on a spiritual level in the way that you said, which, as you said, starts with the identity. And, you know, I think that a lot of the things that you're saying is hitting home so strong because there's so much wisdom in women and i want to talk about that awakening this consciousness of being able to hold space for women's voices especially black women's voices um what do you feel um about that what are your thoughts
2: <laughs> well that's such a such a broad question um I think the biggest thing that I think is that the world has been conditioned to live with the seed as though it is the harvest. And I believe that women, or shall I say, the feminine in ben, all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really going to say, because it really is the feminine in us that has the hybrid of instinct and intuition that allows us to feel through both the body and the soul and then articulate it through the mind. And that's really what we're tapping back into, which is the feminine expression in all of humanity. And what I believe is that The um, one of my non binary clients actually said this to me today. They said, Our belief systems and even our imagination has been way too binary. You know, we think in too linear of a way. And I believe that the divine feminine expression is saying, Not believe bigger. There's nothing to believe bigger. We don't need to believe more. Believing more is actually hard. It's actually exhaustive energy. To me, it's actually a better consciousness to imagine. And in order to imagine, you must be nurtured. And this is how David talked about it in the Psalms, in the Christian faith. David's fussing and David's like, God, my life is not working. I'm so upset. Oh my God, there's so many wars. And David was just one of the best biblical characters because he wants to uh, marry a woman, sends her husband out on the front line to get killed. Then they end up having a baby together and then the baby dies. And I mean, David is just losing his shit. Like, God, how could you let this happen? Not recognizing this is his own cycle of
1: choices. Yeah, his own agenda.
2: His own agenda. And what I love is that God says this. The divine says, come here, I'll hold you. I am the many breasted one and I will nourish you. Now, this is the God that everyone says, he, 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 he. And yet in Christian text, somebody didn't edit that part out where God says, come to my breast and I will feed you and nurture and nourish, which is where we see that feminine expression of the divine is so deeply necessary. So do I believe that this is a time for women? Absolutely. But, and also, I believe that this is a time where we're seeing the amplification of feminine expression through all of humanity. And I believe that that's happening um, in the sweetest and softest ways. It's inviting us, Shaman Durek, to be compassionate with ourselves, It's inviting us to be considerate of ourselves. It's inviting us to stop shaming ourselves. It's inviting us to pay attention to our adrenals, to our nervous system. And it's inviting us into a softness that as a culture was excised with a culture centered on patriarchy, centered on whiteness, and quite frankly, centered on harm and centered on segregation and hierarchy. And so we're seeing all of those walls start falling and a lot of humans are going, it's not happening fast enough, but we don't understand how much the systems we live in are based in this type of toxic power. So I I encourage everyone to pray these words that the systems are falling in the most aligned time, the systems are falling in support of all of us, and that all the most aligned people are going right in the places and spaces where the fallen systems, we can fill it with something that's new, nurturing, refreshing, and for the benefit of all. That's what I believe is happening with the divine feminine right now.
1: Oh my goodness, your words. Yes, yes, yes.
2: Woo! You make me giggle. (laughs)
1: You need to be on center stage, my love. You need to be on stage for all to hear. So, you know, this is really good. So when you, when we, when we think about abundance, prosperity, consciousness, what is some of the first three things that people can do to start moving in that direction based on your knowledge and your teachings?
2: Oh, that's a yummy question. So one of the first things uh, that I would do is. I would write down the five things that I keep saying I need forgiveness for. What are the five things that you're toxically replaying in your consciousness that you need forgiveness for? And who do you need forgiveness from? For most of us, it's from ourselves. I noticed that I didn't feel that things would come easily to me because I hadn't forgiven myself for the affair. And I hadn't forgiven myself for Burying myself in my body and creating a 345 pound body, I was still holding shame and fearfully trying not to go back. And that's how I ended up gaining 140 pounds back on my body. I lost the weight not one time, not two times, but three times in my life. And why? Because I wasn't forgiving myself. So, number one, identify where you feel you need forgiveness. Why do you want to go there? Because that's where you're stopping your flow. That's where you're saying you're unworthy. That's where you're not identifying as the birthplace of worth because you've breached that worth within yourself. So that's number one. That will change your finances in a really big way very, very, very quickly. The second thing I would say is pay attention to your sleeping rhythm. Do you sleep? Do you rest at all? do you allow yourself to rest? And for those of you that oversleep, overrest, why are you oversleeping? Why are you overresting? Why is life so unstimulating? So there are two ends to that. If you oversleep, life is not stimulating you. If you undersleep, you're so stimulated that you're trying to prove something in your life. So the reason that I say, look at your sleeping pattern is because you wanna look at four things. What do I have to hide? what do i have to defend what do i have to protect and what do i have to prove those four things will show up in how you choose or choose not to rest and then the last thing that i would say is journaling and nature because most of us have stopped writing we've started typing we've left out that kinetic connection with ourselves and so if we give ourselves permission and someone would say well how much should i write allison write one sentence a day and the one sentence that you write a day is one thing you're grateful for write one sentence a day and then go out for a walk or go to the water go in snow go in i don't care what your weather is find a way to go out in that weather and say that one sentence and i guarantee you you write that one sentence you go out in nature for five minutes That will change how you view life. Marianne Williamson says, a miracle is a shift in perception. That's it. And so if you change what you write and you shift what you see, your perception will open up and your provision will meet you. It's up to you to govern that provision in a way that leads you to prosperity. It doesn't just show up as prosperity. It shows up as a morsel. And then it's up to you to reutilize that morsel as a seed and not take that on as your harvest, to be responsible, to be ethical, to be moral, and to be honest within yourself.
1: What is something that you feel the world should know about that could really support them?
2: I think the world needs to know If we take an example, a global example like George Floyd, who was publicly executed in 2020, I think that the world needs to know that we are both George Floyd on the ground and we are Derek Chauvin with the knee on the neck. Mm -hmm. And I think that is very difficult for the world to understand that we are both energetically, that there are times in our lives where we have a knee pressed down on us and we're screaming for freedom that will not come. And then there are times where we're that one with the knee on the neck. And I will give an example from my own life. My sister needed me in a season of her life. And instead of being there for her, I put my knee on her neck. I judged her with my language. I pointed at her with my hands. And I took something deeply precious from her because I felt like you're wrong. You should be suffering and I'm the one that's right. That was me with the knee on the neck. Now, another time I was um, mistreated on an app. Remember when Clubhouse used to be popular Mm -hmm. and I was mistreated on that app. I was harmed. Um, A black man called me out of my name. He called me the N-word. He called me a bitch. He called me a clout chaser. Um, And the Washington Post did a story on it. I mean, it was just a Buzzfeed did a story on it. It was a big deal. His knee was on my neck. We are always all things. And I think if the world understands that, we're able to perceive life with a different lens of compassion and acceptance, we're able to find our intersectionalities more, which actually support us to a lifestyle of unity, belonging, and inclusion. But because we want to be either the finger pointer, or we want to be, you know, uh, the one that's the victim, we 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 never want to own that we're both the victim and the villain in our identities at all times. And I think that's what keeps us from unifying as a people. What do you think about that?
1: 100%, I actually was talking about it today. I was saying how we are at a time in our evolution where we are looking for someone to blame and looking for someone to condemn or to burn at the stake because we are doing that to ourselves internally. And that there is this juxtaposition where we have to see that both of those energies are taking place, but to to detach ourselves from them, not realize that they're there, but detach ourselves from the critical point of view or the judgmental idea of it, and the forceful idea of it, and learn to let go of the need to justify um, our actions by constantly attacking or looking for the wrong in other people, And also to justify our actions for looking for something in us that we don't like, instead of realizing that we are these beautiful beings, these multidimensional beings who have the facility and the capability to alchemize all energies if we choose. And it's just a matter of us sitting down with ourselves and being real. And I think the key element is that, being real. You know, and, you know, really cutting out the need of answering questions and acting out based on people pleasing or wanting to, uh, you know, to supplant an idea or an energy into someone that they will like you, but more so of the idea of just being and letting your being in itself present itself however it needs to, however people choose to perceive that, that's their perception. It has nothing to do with you but you continue to, uh, you know, to tend to your own fields and tend to your own garden and continue to beautify that garden with beautiful roses and flowers and trees and plants and things that will actually nourish you and give back to you. Things that will actually give back to you because of that nourishment. And that's how I look at where we can go versus where we are.
2: Mm -hmm. And I feel like so much of teaching in the past I agree with you a thousand percent. I align with the words that you said. And I feel like so much of the teaching in the past was so condemning, like you should have known. The joy of this season that we're in is so many of us are saying to the world, we didn't know what we didn't know. And we've been um, suppressed by the programming for too long. And now it's time to break free and break out. And this is the way to do it. I think the greatest challenge is that most of humanity is so deeply overextended that they want their one act to take care of 30 things. And that's not how it works when you're garnering that first level of momentum, as you cleanse your life and purify your soul.
1: Yeah. You can't pull weeds out of the garden in one day and roses are gonna bloom the next day. There is a cultivation, there is a preparation, there is a, a certain level of devotion that requires. And I think that if we are to realize that and realize how these things come about, we're going to be able to, to create such a beautiful life for ourselves. I really do believe that. Um, my question is how can people get involved in what you're doing? So I know you have things that you're doing right now. What what can people how can people get involved with you? How can they find you? This has been a lovely conversation. I look forward to our conversations in the future. It's been amazing having you a guest on Ancient Wisdom today, my darling. So tell us how we can, you know, find you, connect with you, and get involved in, in ways to grow with you.
2: Absolutely. Now, no one can see me, but I'm smiling so big for this moment because it is so divine to share this space with you. It really is. And I am very selective, just like you are, about the energies that come into my world. People find me when they are done with living a life of accommodation. People find me when they are done with self-abandoning and self-erasing. And most of the time, they've been self-abandoning and self-erasing with their business, most of the time. So I really am one of the goats, if you will, (laughs) in um, the digital marketing space, because I started here 13 years ago, and statistics are still a little wonky, but less than 7% of the digital marketing world is uh, African-American or Black-identifying. Let me take it out of American, Black-identifying, less than 7%. And I'm in the top 1% of that 7% because I've built a multi million dollar business and continue to earn and create multiple millions of dollars. And so that's very unique um, as a signature for me. Um, it's very unique to be this type of leader at the price point that I am, but it's because of the results that I've garnered over the years. And I'm unashamed to discuss those. And because of the success that I've created, I now have a lineage of over 10,000 students that have generated more than $330 million across over 50 countries. So that's a big deal for me because I do not want to die today in any way. I have so much life to live, I have so much more to give. Um, And so the humans that come to me are entrepreneurial. The humans that come to me are visionaries. The humans that come to me are pioneers of new consciousness. And they come to me because they're in the midst of a disruption. They've dared to pray that prayer that they're ready to be in higher service. And holy, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and they want to manage and they want help to manage and navigate those energetics. And so I'm a compassionate leader. And so there are two ways to do that, to work with me privately, which I open up every single quarter opportunities for that. And then also in my group experience, which is called Guided Success, because what I recognized is that everyone was templating purpose. They were just taking a course and becoming Bob the Builder over here, you know, Susie the Shoemaker over here. And I'm like, y'all, we can't template purpose. Be yourself. Be yourself. And how do you be yourself? You start being the highest authority of your own existence and humans didn't know how to do that. So I started Friday sessions. Every Friday we meet for 90 minutes and we go over what does it look like to have guided success that doesn't require for you to sacrifice your marriage or romantic partnerships, if that's important to you, your physical well-being, which is important to us all. If we don't have our health, we don't have anything our relationships with ourselves and with others and our financial autonomy, liberation and freedom. And uh, those are the ways that I work with people for humans that desire those things and are willing to be that version of themselves in service, first in the mirror and then in the world. And so that's my work. And man, it's the best job on the planet.
1: How can people find you?
2: (laughs) Um, they can go to guidedbyallison.com. And my name is spelled A-L-L-Y-S-O-N. So guidedbyallison.com or allisonbird.com, which bird is spelled B-Y-R-D. You can find me there.
1: Excellent. And it has all your information for Instagram and everything.
2: It has all the things. I am so findable because I'm willing to be seen because I know I'm fertile. So you can find me everywhere.
1: Excellent. It's been a wonderful conversation, my love. Um, This has been great. Um, You know, just the way you speak and, you know, just the way your words have such depth and wisdom and I can feel it in myself. I feel it in my body. And I know that everyone who's listening is going to feel it as well. And I'm just honored to have you here on Ancient Wisdom Today podcast for today's share.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been a joy.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. Tribe, I love you all so much. And if you want to stay connected, be sure to check me out on IG at Shaman Durek. And if you have any questions whatsoever, please visit shamandurek.com or contact info at to learn more. And remember, Tribe, no matter what, stay lit.